Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 365 with Dr. Don Graham. Wow, we got an episode for every day of the year now. Awesome. Thanks for sticking with us. I'm excited for this conversation because Dawn is sharing what does it take to make a career switch completely different, function or completely different industry. It could be tricky or spooky or intimidating. She lays out how it's done well. So you'll learn one, the number one advantage of being a switcher. Two, three tips for rebranding yourself on LinkedIn. And three, how to answer the why do you want this job question. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes, the transcript, or the links to items we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F365. And while checking out the cool stuff at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out the Gold Nugget summary email. So we got insights from Dawn and the 364 guests who've gone before her and all those to come after in all the more quickly readable text that goes right to your email and it can be referenced in the vault forever afterwards. So that's the gold nuggets over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Don's story. Dr. Don Graham is a career switch coach, Wharton lecturer, and EMBA career director, author, licensed psychologist, Forbes contributor, and Sirius XM radio host of the popular Career Talk show. She combines her experience as an expert career coach, licensed psychologist, and former recruiter to give career switchers the strategies they need to break through obstacles and land the job they want. Big thanks to Dawn for sharing her wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Dawn. Dawn, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. I'm happy to be here, Pete. Well, one thing I learned about you is that you have a, a love for Halloween, and, and we're recording this in, in early October, so you might land you know, very near Halloween for, for the airing of this episode. So what's the story behind you and Halloween? Yeah, so it is my it is my favorite holiday. I'm a October baby, so of course all of my my celebrations growing up centered around Halloween themes. So I just pr- pretty much thought it was pretty normal for everybody to carve pumpkins and watch scary movies and go to haunted houses around their birthday. But apparently, it's kind of just an October thing. But that is why I love Halloween so much. That's great. Can you recall a particular haunted house experience that really stuck with you? in terms of the the terror <laughs> oh so i know we only have 45 minutes here so i'm going <laughs> to i'm going to keep it i'm going to keep it brief but I, I actually for the first time in my life went to the one in philadelphia which uh, the penitentiary which is is up there with one of the scariest ones and last year they did a very cool thing where they had a hex challenge where they took six people and they put you in various kind of escape situations and you know, so one person got their you know, handcuffed and put a hood over his head and we had to kind of help try to get him to escape, but a number of things like that. So that probably was one of the best ones I've been to. Well, you said hex. I was like, uh-oh, like like freaky witchcraft spell stuff. But he's like, oh, no, this sounds like wholesome teamwork and, and building engagement activities. It was teamwork. I mean, <laughs> one person got buried alive and we had to like find something to get her unburied. I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty intense, but definitely all safe and, and no witchcraft at all. Oh, that's cool. I love those escape rooms. I've done that maybe four times. At least the ones I've been to, it seems like they they very conscientiously try to subtly make it harder or easier based on how you're doing regarding with regard to the clock so that you always feel, at least in my experience, like, we solved it with just a couple minutes left. How exciting. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The hints start pouring in yeah. towards those last 10, 15 minutes, like go to the left, 
pick up the book. It's under the book. <laughs> you know, I know what they're doing, but I still love it. <laughs> I, I do. I want to. That's my favorite outcome for any game is is to win, but for it to be close. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think they, they've got that nailed. Well, so, so tell us a little bit about your role. You are the Director of Career Management at uh, Wharton. Uh, what is, is your role there? So I work with the executive MBA population. So all of our executive MBAs are employed full time and they come to the program every other Friday, Saturday for two years. They complete the same degree as the full time MBAs, just on a different format. So as the career director for that group, we are we are much more of a coaching model. So obviously, career management is something that you you do for life. And so what we do is we try and teach students how to manage their career, both where they are currently, but also to brand themselves and to gain the skills and close the gaps they're looking to close so that they're marketable for a lifetime. Excellent. Well, so now you've kind of captured some of the knowledge that you've shared with this population in your book, Switchers. What's the the big idea behind the book? So the big idea behind the book is that even though a lot of our students here are, are aiming to stay at their current company for a while, you know, some of them are wanting to make a significant career switch and they are mid-career. So they've built pretty impressive careers for the last 15 to 20 years, and now they want to do something very different. And for this population, what I've learned is that even though they're extremely capable, they've done pretty amazing things, the job market, particularly the the applicant tracking systems and the new algorithms and all the different ways that companies are using technology to hire are actually biased against this population because they're looking for a match, looking for keywords, key titles, key you know experiences and certain things that a switcher wouldn't have. So what I realized is that there has to be a way around this bias so that these very qualified individuals can get in front of the hiring managers a different way and be assessed as as a candidate. Oh, that, that is that is excellent. And uh, and I'm sure a breath of fresh air for many people listening. Like, yes, I keep sort of getting the kind of format rejection letter uh, associated. And, and it seems like I just don't have those keyword triggers. And, and I, it's one of the most frustrating things, I think, when a system, which is, you know, it makes sense, you know, there's, there's a glut of applicants, you got to have some kind of processes and systems and automation to, to make it a manageable job for people hiring. But when it's working against, you know, fantastic talent, that they'd really be well served to to have, you know, then everybody loses. It's just a darn shame. Yeah, it, it makes it very difficult for the companies to to find all the qualified people out there. It makes it very difficult for people who want to switch to make that happen. So, so the strategies in the book switchers are ones that, in my opinion, are win win for both the candidates and the hiring managers because when you hire a switcher. Typically, that person has made a commitment. They're hungry to do the job. They're curious. They're willing to roll their sleeves up, and they're willing to do a lot more in certain cases to prove that they're they're worthy of that role. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and I, I'm just thinking about all the benefits associated with someone who who has less experience. That that could seem like a liability, but it's it could also really be an asset in terms of oh wow, you think about this in a completely different way than the rest of us. Sometimes it's annoying to have to catch you up and explain, you know, why this makes perfect sense. And other times, you're the one who's coming up with with brilliant ideas 
from that very reason that you're, you're coming at it from a completely different place. Yeah. And I'll tell you, Pete, in today's job market, what used to be linear careers that tended to stay the same for a number of years, what we're seeing is companies are looking more and more for people who are able to think critically, are able to influence others across different cultures across different functions. They're looking for people who see creative ways and and interconnections that other people haven't seen. So they are looking for individuals who aren't necessarily going to follow a playbook, which is another reason why I think switchers are so desirable because they are taking their, their skills and their experience and they're remolding it in a way to apply it to the new market. And, you know, companies can't keep up with hiring these days because jobs are changing so quickly. So people who have switched jobs frequently and have made progress and landed quick wins in those jobs are actually going to be more employable over time. That's excellent. Well, well, maybe we could open it up as before we get into some of the nitty gritty for, for what to do is could you tell us a, a fun tale of a, a career switcher who, who made a big change and, and had a smashing success by doing so? We have a lot of a lot of those success stories here. And I think in part because people put in the time and recognize that that you know it is up to them. The ball is in their court. So one person that I can speak to that is a you know perfect example of this is we had somebody who for years had been a lawyer and she wanted to move into human resources, but Obviously, when you put forward that I'm an attorney, human resources sees that as a complete mismatch. But what we did is we totally rebranded her resume, her LinkedIn, and her pitch. So instead of leading with, I'm an attorney who wants to make a change, it began with the things that she'd done in her past that related most closely to HR. And so she'd done a lot of work with compliance and employer relations. And you know, while that was a smaller part of her job, she put that in the forefront and ended up taking a job internal to her company, which is one of the best ways to make a switch actually is making a functional switch internally in a company where you've made relationships, you've, you've made uh, progress in getting known, you've, you've accomplished things in your current role, you have a history of doing well, you have a history of showing up and being reliable. The company wants you to stay, so they may be more willing to take a chance on you in a new role, and that's what she did. And She did that for two years and then eventually moved to a startup in HR, which is essentially where she wanted to learn to land. We call this a stepping stone switch because she wanted to make a functional and industry switch, but she did it in two steps. So first she moved into her current organization's HR role by rebranding herself, did that for two years, and then moved into a, a very small startup in a tech industry, which was different from where she was working. You know, that, that's clever. And, and it seems like a sensible thing to do. Don't say, hey, I'm an attorney looking to switch into human resources, but rather highlight your human resources e you know, type of experience. But you know, I guess if, if you don't stop to think about it, you would just very, very likely probably just do what's natural, which is to tell it like it is. Yeah, I'm a lawyer looking to, to do human resources, but that's not the, the optimal path. And it makes a lot of sense when you, when you lay it out that way. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, another example that, that is, lays it out very clearly in just that one piece is had an individual who is in pharma and was on the clinical side, very smart, had a PhD and, you know, background in pharma, but wanted to move to the corporate side to do strategy. And, you know, pharma is one of those industries where you're on one side or the other. So leading off with, I have a PhD in chemistry and I have, you know, this, this scientific background actually hindered the switch 
But once that was dropped from from the story, it became here are the skills I have in in the strategic side and the corporate side. So people could see her as somebody with the skills they wanted. And what happened is that once she got into that final pool, using that as her her starting point, the PhD became a unique selling point that made her even more qualified than the other candidates who didn't have that. So what I always say, Pete, is match first, stand out second. And what I mean by that is is go in with the skills you have that they're most interested in, regardless of, of the other impressive skills you might have. And then once you're in that final pool, they're going to ask you, well, what makes you different from the other two or three candidates? And that's when you come in with your unique background. That is well said. And it just resonates as true in terms of because at the first stage, it's like there's tunnel vision. The blinders are on. It's like, this is what I'm looking for. And then it's sort of, it's almost hard when you're in the hiring and resume reviewing position to to really be creative and and, and, and open ended and uh, and freewheeling and thoughtful in such a way because you know you just don't have that luxury when, when you're churning through so many potential you know resumes and, and applicants versus when you're in the final stage it's sort of like okay well no, these are real human beings and I, and I really got a sense for for what I like about them and now you know I, I'm really starting to sort of imagine working with them and and, and that really sort of makes sense that, that that kind of thinking can work to your advantage at that stage, but not earlier. Yeah. And I think a lot of people believe that a hiring manager is going to do that work for them, that they're going to take the resume and start making inferences. Well, if you can do this, then maybe you can do this. And unfortunately, what we know is that maybe even if if you get through the applicant tracking system, which which more than 75% of resumes do not, even if you get to humanize, you're going to get six to 10 seconds. And in that six to 10 seconds, there's not a lot of time for somebody to make interpretations or, or think about how you might fit in the role. So you have to tell them up front and center. They have to see the words that they're looking to see. Well, Don, I love that we've already gotten into some, some really juicy tips and tactics, uh, but I want to kind of rewind a, a smidge and, and zoom out to you know think about... First of all, who are the sorts of people who might really benefit from from doing some switching? Or are, are there some key indicators or signs that uh, you would be well served to make a switch in your career? So I think a lot of people are recognizing that the ladder they got on initially is is maybe going nowhere because of industry changes or um, you know robots have come in and taken over or you maybe have learned about careers that didn't exist when you first started working. And so I think a lot of people are finding themselves in this this space of wanting to do something different. But I think the book can be helpful for any job seeker because the tips in it make complete sense no matter what what type of job change you're looking to make. But I mean, people who are looking to go from, say, military to to civilian jobs or people looking to go from maybe an academic job to a corporate job or government to corporate or individuals who are in one type of function incorporate and want to do a completely different function. Sure, there's a couple of, of paths where you need a certain education and a certain license to do, but there's so many that don't require those specific steps. And the reason I wrote Switchers is because there really wasn't a manual to give somebody a roadmap to make that switch. There's over 700 books about what do I want to do with my life? But nobody wrote the book of, right, now that I figured it out, how do I actually get there? That's excellent. All right. Well, and so we've already talked about some of the the key parts of the process associated with executing that switch. Could you maybe orient us in terms of, you know, broad strokes, overview, picture, what are sort of the, the key steps in, in the process from, from start to finish, if we were to get the overview picture? 
Yep. So I think first you have to determine if a switch is for you. So the book talks about the different types of switches that you can make and the different difficulty levels. And I think each individual has to assess, is this right for me in my life? And there's, there's an assessment in the book that talks about what does this mean for me? Because, you know, I've seen people who say, I really, really want this, but then all of a sudden it becomes, well, I don't want to give up my salary, or I don't want to move, or I don't want to, to have a bad commute, or I don't want to give up being a manager. And so you start to throw in all these yes, buts. You have to think about the fact that maybe a switch isn't right for you. And maybe you are either happier in your job than you realize, or you're, you're too tied to that identity of of your career and this isn't the best time. So I think that's step one before you do too much in the way of going down that path. And then I, I say go all in on plan A. And what I mean by that is you have to develop this target, which in the book I call plan A, and it has to be ridiculously specific. So I, I find Pete that a lot of people know when they're done with a given career but they don't think as hard about what they want to do next. So, so the second step is really understanding where you want to go, doing your market research, understanding the skills that are important in that area, starting to, to build connections in that area and assessing where you fit. Because if you waver at all, if you have what I call plan B, you're obviously not convinced you can do this. And if you're not convinced, you're not going to convince a hiring manager or your network contacts. So you have to be all in. And the book talks about how you can get there. And then the next step would be rebranding yourself. Like we talked about with the examples earlier, you need to show up as the person they're expecting because there's a lot of bias out there and hiring managers don't have a lot of time to dig through and make inferences. And so getting a brand that aligns with where you're going and creating that image on your LinkedIn, on your resume, with your network contacts is so critical because again, match first, stand out second. So the book talks about how you can look at your skills and you can do this. And then once you do that, then you really need to get, um, you need to get out there and network. And I know that's a word that, that people hate. I call it creating ambassadors in the book. But here's the thing. A lot of people don't recognize that they have a huge network already. And they might say, well, yeah, but nobody works in the companies or the field that I want to go into. But what I say is that you're, you're definitely underestimating the second level contacts. And the second level contacts are the people those people know. And once you start branching out into those circles, you're going to be surprised at, at the, the network you actually have built. So I talk about that and, and we can get into that more later. And then obviously the last step is, is putting everything together and keeping the ball in your court, meaning you drive this process. So you build your network, you build your plan for interviewing, you build the process of creating a, a compensation package that you're looking for. You kind of have to drive all of that and keep that going. And it's hard and it's frustrating because you're going to get some no's. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sugar code it and say, oh, everybody's just going to be falling over ready to hire you for twice your salary. I mean, this is a tough process. There's going to be rejection and there's going to be things that aren't fair. The book talks about those things and how to prepare for them and even how to navigate them. But I also think it's important to let people know that, that this is a tough process even though there is a roadmap for it. Well, well, certainly as, as you sort of laid it out, it's just like, Oh, this is a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I know it'll very wildly, but could you give us maybe a, a rough sense in terms of hours 
on this process, on the hunt, roughly, you know, hey, from X to Y, you know, you might expect is, is what you're signing up for when you want to do a switch. Yeah, I think it depends on the industry you're going, how big the switch is. So are you looking to make an industry switch, a functional switch? Are you looking to do both? How the market is in that in that area. So if you're looking to go into venture capital, obviously that's a much, much smaller niche area than some other switches you might be going into. And I think that's the, the reason that the, the first chapter or two in the book talk about doing this assessment and saying, am I ready for this? Because what I don't want people to do, I've, I've seen people, Pete, go back, they decide I'm going to make the switch. And the first step I want to do is go back to school. And they spend two years getting a graduate degree and investing all that time and money. And, you know, one person I know did her internship. She went back to school for speech therapy and, and the internship, which is the very last piece of this two-year program. She's like, this is not at all what I expected it to be. I don't want to do this. Mm. And now what? So I, I've seen this happen so many times and it makes sense. People are very, very tied to their, their identity and what that entails. And that might mean a certain income level. That might mean a certain lifestyle. That might mean you know how you spend your time with your family or in your neighborhood or whatever those things are. So I want people to be very aware of the fact that this can be a great change for your career, but there are other levers that it might pull along the way. And if you're not ready to do that right now, that's okay. But I don't want you to get all the way through the book and realize that. I want you to know up front. Oh yeah, that, that's good. And well, I'd love to get, do you have any sort of pro tips for doing a quick uh, kind of a preview in order to, to not make that mistake of, uh-oh, I don't like this at all. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I talk about in the book is really trying things on. So, so there's an assessment and it talks about what are you willing to give up? So are you willing to give up pay? Are you willing to, to do all these different things? How much time are you willing to spend on it? And, and those things. So there's that. But then I say you really have to see how this fits for you. So you have to go talk to people who are doing this. You have to go, you know, maybe shadow people who are doing this. You have to really look at what it is because if you're not willing to, I say this in the book a lot, I'm like, if you're not willing to lose, you're not ready to switch. And what I mean by that is that with every change, good, bad, or otherwise, there are things that are going to go away, there's things that are going to be added, and then there's things that are going to be that stay the same. So most people only think about the great things when they're changing a job, but if you're not thinking about those things that, that may change in a way that you didn't anticipate, you might be disappointed. Oh, that's a great stuff. And I want to dig into a couple of the, the components of, of the steps to, to hear some of your favorite tips and tricks. You say you want to get ridiculously specific and be all in. Could you give us an example of, of what ridiculously specific sounds like and what all in sounds like and what, you know, not quite there sounds like in these two categories? Yeah. So ri ridiculously specific means, you know, the geography you want to be in. It, it means, you know, the companies you want to be in. It knows the level, the compensation you know the culture you want to work in, you, want to, you know the size company, you know the, the titles that you're looking at, you know how your brand fits those titles. You start to build out your network in that area. But it's very, very targeted so that you can have a brand statement that if you say that to anybody, they're going to get what you mean or they're going to be able to give you a piece of data that gets you to where you want to be. And in most cases, that's a company. So if you know the companies you're targeting, one of the best ways you can get advice is to share those company names with people you know, because chances are, even if they don't work there, 
there. They have neighbors, friends, family, and you know, former classmates, former colleagues, and they probably know somebody. So, so that's just one example. If you're if you're telling me, well, I have two plan A's. I either want to be a consultant in strategy or I want to be in finance. Then you're not ready <laughs> because the thing is, social capital is very, very important today. I don't want to spend my social currency on somebody who's not sure. So if you tell me I want to go one of these two paths, if I give you a name of somebody and then you change your mind two months from now, I've kind of wasted one of my my social currency cards on you. So I'm going to wait until you convince me that you've decided which path you want to take. And I kind of equate it to to the difference between, you know, if you, if you have somebody come up and they, they say, oh, Pete, I need you to help me find a new apartment. My my lease is up. And you say, great, I'd be happy to help. What are you looking for? And they say, well, one or two bedroom, one or two bathroom, not really sure of location. My, you know, I haven't really calculated the rent yet, but <laughs> you're going to say, well, you know, you're asking me to do all the work for you. I can't possibly help you unless mm-hmm. you give me some specifics. And so you can kind of use that example to say, if, you're, if that's how you're going to your contacts, you're not ready. And they can't help you. And worse, they may see you as whimsical. So when you are ready, you damage that contact potentially. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's well said. And so then I want to now dig into the the brand development uh, side of things. What are some of your your favorite tips there? So you mentioned that you have it consonant with uh, the LinkedIn and and the resume. What are some of the sort of best practices in terms of of modifying those to tell the story you want to? Yes. So you're always building your brand, whether you think you have one or not, you do, because the human brain loves to categorize. And so all the actions you do, the people you associate with, how you show up, are you on time, are you late, what you say, do you roll your eyes with your body language, your emails, your dress, all this stuff, people are are building a brand about you. And chances are your brand is very much tied to the job you're in now. So you have to shift that. And a lot of people push back on this, Pete, because they say, oh, brand, you know, I'm not a brand, I'm a person, or that doesn't feel genuine to me. But here's the deal. You have a brand, whether you like it or not. So I say, why not control what you're putting out there so that people start seeing you in this new light? So what I encourage people to do is take a look at their entire selves, look at all of their skills, all of their titles, everything they've done without qualifying any of it, and then start and pick to pick and choose those things that are going to be most interesting to the audience they're targeting. So of course you have to look at your audience as well. And you know, a very easy example I can say is if you were going to buy a car and you were a young family and the salesperson was saying this car can go from zero to 60 and in, in five seconds, it's got leather seats and you know, it's got this great sound system. As a young family, you'd be saying, this isn't the car for me. However, if that salesperson said, you know, it has eight airbags and run flat tires and it has this child locking safety system, all of a sudden that car seems appealing to you. And the thing is, all of those features might be in one vehicle. It's about what you put out there to your audience and knowing your audience and putting those things out there that are going to resonate with them is really what brand is about. It's not being fake. It's completely authentic. It's just choosing what things you're putting out for first 
And then those other things are still a part of you, but that's not the part your audience is most interested in. Understood. So, so once you're kind of clear on, you know, what they'd like to see and, and what you honestly have to, to show in those realms, do you have any sort of nitty gritty uh, tips when it comes to the actual making or tweaking of the LinkedIn profile and the resume document? Well, what I would say is that as important as the things you put on are the things you take off. So one of the, the best tips I have in this area are, you know, don't just layer on these other things, because as we talked about in the example a few minutes ago, if you're leading with a PhD and you're looking to move into a corporate job, they're immediately seeing you as not a fit. And it may be painful <laughs> to take that off uh, of your resume or your LinkedIn because you've worked really hard to earn it. And, and I completely understand that. But if it's getting in your way versus building a bridge, you need to think about about yourself as this new brand. And again, that could come in later as one of those unique selling points that that seals the deal. But that's one of the things I would say when you're looking at your resume and LinkedIn, what you take off is just as important as what you put on. And now when you say take off, now I, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, you can drop the, the doctor or the PhD after your name at the, at the top. And and you can maybe skip the work experience associated with you in the lab or you know your your research that you were doing. But but are you also saying that in the education section, like that's just not there anymore? No, I wouldn't. I would not necessarily say that. What what I would say is you need to take a look at the the whole landscape, and you have to kind of circle what is my new audience going to be most interested in. So you can do that by looking at job descriptions. You can talk to people in the industry. You can talk to hiring managers in the industry to find out what is most marketable. And then there are things you just might want to leave off. Maybe you want to leave it off of your your resume, but yet put it on LinkedIn because it's one of those things that is a nice to have. Or maybe you just decide that your market is telling you they don't want to see this PhD or you have five degrees. And they, you know that in and of itself, some people say, oh, doesn't that make me look really impressive? And I say, no, it actually makes you look really confused. So you want to take those off. Or maybe your titles are very specific to it at a given industry, but don't really speak publicly about what you did. These are marketing documents. And I want to be clear, Pete, I'm not telling anybody to lie or make things up. But what I am telling you to do is think about if you've got this really wonky title that's only recognizable internal to your organization, you might want to change that to manager and then put your title in in one of the bullet points so that people understand what you do. Because there's this this fine line between being, being completely you know, 100% writing something that is, is internal to your company, but nobody else in the world could possibly understand <laughs> and modifying it so that you say, this is really a sales manager. We call it a an evangelist in my company. I know that means nothing to the real world. So I put sales manager. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, cool. And, and so I, I'm thinking about when it comes to LinkedIn, any pro tips when it comes to the headline uh, and, and how you how you play that game? Yeah. So remember that people look at LinkedIn on different devices. And more often than not, people are looking at things on their mobile phone nowadays. So think about everything from that perspective in terms of length of emails and, and such. So you want to put in your headline something that's understandable, something that a, a recruiter or somebody looking for you would be searching on. So a lot of people put kind of cute titles like, like Jedi, <laughs> things like that. But Let's face it. No recruiter is going there and typing Jedi. They're, they're typing, I, mean, I, want a, I want an SQL Jedi. That's what I'm yeah. <laughs> I mean, so 
So there's a there's a balance between you know what is, what is somebody actually searching for and what is going to be descriptive about what I'm doing. So so one absolutely modify your headline and you have a number of characters. So a lot of people default to their current job, but especially if you're a switcher, you definitely don't want that to be the case. You want it to be more aspirational in nature. And again, you're not making stuff up, but you might you might say ideally suited to, or you might have. 10% of your job is is what you really want to make 100% of your job. If, if that's in your background, that's fine to put in your headline if you've done it. Or maybe it was three jobs ago and you're like, well, that's not what I do now. You know what? That's okay. You have that experience. So you can put that front and center because remember, that's what your audience wants to see and you have it. Excellent. Well, so I want to get a, a couple quick tips. If you find yourself in the good position of, of having an interview, uh, any quick do's and don'ts? Yes. So if you get to the interview stage, I think one of the things you have to remember is that you're, you've now earned a seat at the table. So I think one of the things that I encourage switchers to do is not psych themselves out because it's really easy to look at the job description and say, but I don't have this and I don't have that. And these other candidates, you know, forget it. You've earned your seat there. You are, you've even the playing field. The other thing is, if you've earned your seat at the interview table, chances are they, they believe you have the, the basic skills to do the job. If you were referred in, then that goes a long way in showing fit because that's one of the ways that companies assess fit that somebody referred you in. And the one thing that people often overlook is what I call the motivation question and preparing for this in a um, deep way. And that question is in some form, why do you want this job? Now, what is it that you're you're trying to, um, why do you want to be here? Why do you want this position? And it's a very common question that people are asked in all interviews, yet most of the answer, answers are underwhelming. They're, they're not thought through. Well, I'm passionate about what your company is doing, or you know, your company's got a great reputation, or something that's, that's pretty generic. And I would say this is the make or break question. This is the question where they're going to hire you or not, because this is a question that tells them how hungry you are to do this work. And that's what they're looking for. They're looking for people who are hungry, who are going to come in. And as the job changes that, you know, people can adapt to that job as balls come in out of left field, people who can handle those situations. They're looking for people who have committed in some way in their background to building a career in this direction. They're looking for people who understand how this fits into their longer career trajectory. And they're looking for people who are genuine about why they want to be at this company and who've done their research. They need a very specific answer. And if you nail that question, that's where you're going to seal the deal. And so you mentioned most answers are underwhelming. And so I can think of many underwhelming responses. Well, you know, this is an, you're a leader in this industry, which I'm very passionate about. And I've, I've always had a longstanding interest in this area. And it would just be great to be here. So I, I could think that's underwhelming. So could you give us a demo of what nailing it sounds like? Yes, there's actually a, and just kind of a, a process in the book about what I call your career story. And your career story is what you're really going to develop to to nail this question. And the career story goes through a couple of different aspects of kind of nailing the motivation question. So you want to to essentially go through how you've committed to the actual job already, meaning that 
if you're a switcher, you've maybe done an internship or maybe you volunteered or maybe you have taken some classes, gotten a certification. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do to to get that type of experience. You want it to fit into your your story as genuine and, and fit into the long-term career plan. And you want to show how your skills nail what they're doing. So for example, let's go back to the lawyer from the beginning of the interview who is looking to switch into HR. So what, what she may say is something along that when they ask her, why do you want to, you know, why do you want to be in this position? Well, I've spent the last Last two years working to help employees develop a compliance program around working from home so that we could reduce the risk that comes from that while also increasing employee engagement. After building this program with the employee's input, we increased employee satisfaction by 20% while also reducing the risk of having people work from home. And after doing this, what I realized is that my, my background as an attorney can really fit into the needs of HR as companies are looking to grow and increase employee engagement and reduce risk around retention. And so now I'm looking to move into your company, which is a growing startup, where one of the things that you've talked about in your mission statement is building a company around the employees. And that's something that really resonated with me based on the type of work that I've been doing. And in addition to having the direct experience of working in these types of situations, my background as an attorney will bring an added level of understanding of the compliance in this area. So, okay, Pete, I just made that up, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, you put me on the spot. I'm neither a lawyer nor in HR compliance, but what you can see in that example is that this person used some clear examples of things that she's done. So she's shown a commitment to it. She has put forth some achievements that she had in this area. She tied it into the company mission that you know the company was looking to do. And she tied it into her own interests, which is a much more compelling answer than I think it's really cool that your, your company is really focused on employees and I want to help with that. <laughs> Right. Yes. And I like it. it's just sort of like unmissable in terms of, okay, yep, that's what you're into. That's what you have done. And, and this fits. And, and that's great. And, and so you mentioned the, the mission statement and, and I, I did put you on the spot. And I think, you know, some, some companies, their mission statements are, are alive and for real and, and others there, they're less so. But that notion that if you're, if you're connecting your stuff to their stuff, whether it's, you know, you had, you interviewed, you know, three employees and, and one theme that came through there was this, like that would count too, if not the, the mission statement piece. And then that really sends the message like you, you have done your research and, and you get it. You, you get us and, and sort of what we're about. And it just sort of says, yes, you are in fact about what we are about. Excellent. Yeah. And I think the important thing about that is, is, that there is a concrete example involved. Like it's really easy to say I'm totally into that, right? That resonates with me. But when you can bring forth a concrete answer that shows your commitment to it, like here's what I've done that aligns with what what you're you're telling me is important, that nails it for a company. They're like, okay, yeah, that mm-hmm. totally makes sense. Lovely. Well, Don, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Yeah, so I think one of the other pieces of switchers that I've I've worked really hard to make different 
is adding a lot of psychology to it. As a licensed psychologist, one of the things I realized early on is that business interactions, particularly the job search, is very much about psychology and how humans understand one another and interact. So there's a number of things in the book that talk about this and understanding things like loss aversion or confirmation bias or reversible decisions and other things like this that help people, again, whether you're a switcher or not, understand what's happening on the other side of the desk so that you can be as competitive as any non-switcher in this process. Because when you understand what the biases are for a hiring manager against hiring somebody who doesn't have a traditional background, then you have a competitive advantage of putting together a strategy to combat that. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us uh, a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? I have to say, I'll give you one that I find inspiring, but then I want to give you one of my own that, um, that I like to say a lot. So you're always one decision away from a totally different life. I love that. Very inspiring. And then one of the things I say to my students a lot is luck is what happens when preparation meets networking. So little play on Seneca's standard quote there. And how about a favorite book? I have many favorite books, as I'm sure most of your listeners do. But one of the ones that I've read recently that I like a lot is Building Your Dream Network by Kelly Hoey. And if if you're one of those people who doesn't like networking or doesn't see the benefit in it, you need to read this book. Oh, yeah. We had Kelly on the show. She's great. Perfect. (laughs) And how about a favorite tool? So one of the favorite tools I like, and I reference this in Switchers a lot, is Steve Dalton's The Two-Hour Job Search. It's another great book, but um, specifically the tool he creates in the two-hour job search pinpoints that part of the job search process that's very ambiguous and everybody hates. So if you are going through a job search process, I, I completely recommend that book. What's the ambiguous part we all hate? So the ambiguous part you all hate is that part in between figuring out what you want to do and you have your resume done and you have you know, all that done and then getting to the interviews. So it's, it's a very, very small part between having everything ready, set to go and interviewing that small part. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Cool. And how about a favorite habit? Favorite habit, I would say consistently doing one thing every day towards my larger goal. No, well, now I'm intrigued now. And so, and is that sort of the idea is you pick one larger goal at a time? And then that's the the rule is, hey, every day there's going to be at least a something toward this. So I actually have a couple of goals I'm working on, but I think making a conscious decision every day to make sure. So for example, you know, one of my, one of my goals is to do a Ted talk. So am I doing something every day that creates a situation where I move closer to that in some form or fashion? Some of it's indirect, but other things are more direct. And, and I think when you do that, that's when the bigger things start to happen. One of the things I always tell job seekers is that if you're not doing something in one small way every day, then you know chances are you're not, you're not going to get any closer to that goal. We all think it's going to happen overnight. I wish. If you figure that out, Pete, you let me know. Oh, oh certainly. Yeah. And what's, what's cool about that is I imagine that you, you might have a big old list of, of things that could conceivably move you closer to that and, and such that every day it's, it's not sort of the exact same thing. You know, and it might be for a while, like email three people, but I, I can imagine there, there could be dozens of potential activities that can bring you closer to that. And, and you've got sort of a, a running list that you are referring back to when it's, you know, goal progress time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think it also too becomes a habit for other things you want to achieve because, you know, at the end of the day, we'll probably never get to all of our to do's on our list. But if you have a goal 
on your plate, you want to make sure you get to that to do that day. It can take five seconds. It could take five hours, but you want to make sure that you hit that that day. Awesome. Thank you. And Dawn, if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? I would say you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham, or you can always check out my radio show on Sirius XM channel 132 called Career Talk. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I would say that clarity comes through action. So if you're stuck or you're feeling like you're not sure where you want to go next, take action, take any action. It can be unrelated because the brain loves creativity. And when the brain does something novel, it unleashes all parts of, of you know, our thinking that, that maybe we just didn't have access to because we were feeling blocked. So sometimes it could be taking a walk around the park, going to the gym. It could be reading something you don't normally read. It could be subscribing to a blog. It can be anything. But when you feel stuck, the best thing you could do is get out of your head and, and do something. Beautiful. Well, Dawn, this has been a ton of fun. I wish you all the best with your book, Switchers, and your in your serious radio program, and your students, and, and all you're up to. Well, thank you so much, Pete. I appreciate you having me. I think Dawn brought a whole lot of clarity in just a few words with that powerful distinction that you want to match first and stand out second. Because sometimes we think, I want to stand out, but if you're trying to stand out too soon, totally, it, it's not going to work because either the keyword scanning software or even sort of the brain space that a person's in when they're thinking about what they're looking for as they're rapidly going through hundreds of resumes, it's just not going to click and you're going to get discarded, ignored, not even sort of make it to the table versus standing out second. It's like, oh, how uniquely wonderful you are. We appreciate your different experience this time around now that it's suggested in this context in which we can receive it. Good stuff from Dawn. Hope you dug that and more. And if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced, is at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F365. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push the subscribe button. If you do, you'll catch our next guest. It is Kwame Christian coming back. He's got a fresh book on negotiation out. He's talking about that book, how to be persuasive, and, and how we even think and make decisions so you can persuade yourself or deal with your inner toddler, as we discussed. Hope to get you there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.